Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Good evening. Okay, let's try that again. Good evening, everyone. It's a joy to stand before you this evening and and share God's word with you. Um, I am not feeling that great, and I pray and trust that God's strength and grace will be with me um, to be able to communicate his word clearly to you and not to collapse uh, till the end of my time. This evening, I'd like to share with you from Luke chapter 8, from verse 1 to verse 15. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 15. It's a well-known, I think, passage or account, a parable, uh, which we uh, refer to as the parable of the sower. And the title of my message this evening is, What's Your Heart Condition? What's your heart condition? A few years ago, I was diagnosed with uh, a heart condition that changed uh, some aspect of my life. I had to take it seriously, uh, making some adjustments in the way a life had to be approached and lived. The knowledge of that condition uh, was crucial in helping this man who stands um, before you this evening um, to assess the situation, follow medical advice, and abandon a few of my favorite sporting activities, um, such as basketball, um, soccer, um, if I wanted to see my grandkids, God willing. The reason why I had to make those adjustments is because if I were to continue playing those sports or doing those sports, my heart rate uh, accelerates from normal to abnormal in a matter of seconds. And, and therefore, I run the risk of uh, running out of breath and even collapsing. As important as this condition is, it is, however, not uh, what I fear the most, uh, because it is manageable. However, there are three conditions affecting the heart found in this evening's text that I fear the most if diagnosed with them. And I believe we should all take them seriously for they have the potential to cause a long-lasting spiritual damage unless the Lord intervenes to put a stop to them. Three are bad and one is good. And those conditions, as we'll see this evening, are to do with how you receive the word of God. And having said that, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark 
sorry, to Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 15. Let's read it together. Luke 8, 1 to 15. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the gospel, sorry, the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, and Johanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the bird of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Verse 7, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Verse 8, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. If you turn a few pages in previous chapters of Luke, you will see that Luke is introducing us to Jesus' Galilean ministry, a ministry that had marked by the calling of the 12, the 12 disciples, some public teaching, signs and miracles, as the healing of a man with unclean spirits, another with leprosy, one with paralysis, one with a withered hand, and even we are told of a centurion servant um, who was healed from a distance. 
Luke continues to tell us as well about a widow's son who was raised back to life. And if we continue to read, we also see the compassionate heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ shown to a woman whose sins were forgiven at the house of a man called Simon, a Pharisee. As you can imagine, his teaching and miracles led to the increase of his fame. But as he's moving through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, which is the gospel, we are given a rare piece of information about a group of women whose lives were transformed by that good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel they heard. And we are told among them were those who were healed of evil spirits and infirmities such as Mary uh, Magdalene, who was delivered of seven evil spirits. There's also another woman by the name of Johanna, who was the wife of Shusa, a Herod's household manager. This is an indication that the gospel or the goodness of the kingdom even entered the palace. And there was also Susanna, as well as other women whose names are not mentioned. Now, when we come to the 12, as well as the Lord Jesus Christ, looking at their ministry or his ministry, we know that there were some disciples who were former fishermen by profession. We also had Matthew Levi, who was a tax collector. Now, in case you were wondering how they survived and sustained themselves during Jesus Christ's years of ministry here on earth, as they came to faith in Jesus Christ, we are told in verse 3 that these women immediately started giving of their resources to enable Jesus' ministry to continue. We are told in verse 3 that these women provided for them, meaning Jesus and the disciples, out of their means. It is important to know that in a society where women were seen as property with almost an invisible role, we see that in Christ, they had a major role in contributing to his ministry just like we appreciate the role women play in the church today. Women have a role to play. Now, we are also told that as Jesus' fame increased due to the miracles and signs he was performing, people were flocking to see him. We see that in verse 4, which reads, And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town to town, from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, that we are told that people flocked to see him. It was impossible for Jesus Christ to go somewhere incognito, 
wherever he went, everybody recognized him. In fact, the account of Mark, of the same parable, in chapter 4, verse 1 says, that the crowd was gathered around him, the crowd that gathered around him, rather, was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out of the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Jesus was seated as a rabbi would do while the people were standing as he was teaching. The huge crowd did not impress him because he knew what was in their hearts. The sad reality about us today is that we often do not judge success by the number of people who attend an event. We look at the numbers, the quantity, sometimes more than we should look at the quality. I'm not saying that huge numbers are bad, but it shouldn't be the number one criteria to judge or determine the success of a ministry. It shouldn't be our number one priority. Jesus was not impressed by the vast crowd, but rather concerned about their heart conditions. He knew that many had not come to hear his word, but to check him out, to see what was going on. Indeed, some had no spiritual interest whatsoever. There is also a strong possibility that some had heard him before, did not believe, and they came again and again, again and again rather, and they were still not going to believe. Their hearts were simply hardened. Hardened to the good news of the kingdom, hardened to the gospel. So Jesus now gives a parable that if understood by the crowd, by the people who have come to listen to him, to put a stop to the spiritual condition they are in. Therefore, let us go to our first point of the evening, which I've entitled, A Few Observations About the Parable, from verse 5 to verse 10. A few observations about the parable. Now let's start by answering the question, what's a parable? The term parable simply means comparison. It is an earthly story with a spiritual or divine meaning and truth. With this parable known as the parable of the sower, while others prefer to refer to it as the parable of the soils, Jesus uses a familiar agricultural image of a farmer walking to the field and starts to cast seeds. We are told in verse 11 that a seed is God's word. And I want you to remember that. The seed is God's word. The farmer in this context is Christ, or in this direct context is a reference to Christ, or anyone who proclaims, teaches, 
and shares the word of God. The farmer is Christ or anyone who proclaims, teaches, and shares the word of God. The soil represents the heart of the people on which the seed is cast. The soil represents the hearts of the people on which the seed is cast, according to Luke chapter 10, verse 16. So the sower, we see in this parable, cast his seed, some falls along the path and gets trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devour it. Now it is important to know that in Israel the fields were divided into long and narrow strips for cultivation. And between those long, narrow strips of field, there were beaten paths to allow the movement of people to go between the fields. Both human and animals treading on these paths caused the ground to be hardened so that it was impossible for the seed to enter the soil. The second part of the seed is cast, and it lands on rocky soil. And the Bible says it quickly sprouts, only to wither away because it had no moisture. Now, I also want you to understand that rocky soil does not mean that the soil was 100% rocky. What we need to understand here, as explained by Hendrickson, is portion of the soil was found on top of layers of rock, and often the rocky layer reaches up so near to the surface that the soil above it has hardly any depth. In such a situation, the seed in the process of sprouting has only one way to go, namely up. So instead of becoming firmly rooted, it springs up immediately, however, not having roots to draw water from the soil, and the soil itself being inadequate, the little plant soon withers away for lack of moisture. This process of withering was also hastened by the sun's scorching rays. Now let's move to the third seed which was cast in another direction. And the Lord Jesus says that it falls among the thorns and got choked. Now the thorns were actually weeds with roots under the surface. And they were also undetectable. As the soil had depth and looked good on the surface, you could be easily tricked to think that, you know what, this is a good soil. And farmers knew 
but irrespective of the many efforts by the farmer to plow them, they would always bring their ugly nature. And finally, the fourth seed, we are told, fell on good soil, which is the dream of every farmer. The soil is rich, it is soft, as depth, moisture, and ready to receive the seed. Now, another observation I would like to make is in each of the, of the four instances recorded in the parable, the ground, the soil, or the heart, meaning the person is different. Have you seen that? The soil is different. The heart is different. The person is different. But a seed is the same. And I hope you saw that. As we continue with our observation of the passage, it is interesting to notice that after giving the parable, Jesus called, and we see that in verse 8, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It is a phrase he used in many occasions. And it simply means this. I know that not all of you are going to get what I'm saying, but those who can, please listen to me. That's what Jesus Christ is trying to say. The evidence that not all understood is seen in verse 9. Where the disciples asked for the meaning of the parable to which he replied with one of his famous hard saying found in verse 10, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables. So that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is hard. And there are two things worth noting in this verse, verse 10. Number one, the disciples are willing to know the meaning of the parable. That's why they ask the question to Jesus or they ask him to explain the parable to them. They have a good disposition of the heart. And to them, Jesus is ready to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. He's ready to reveal the truths hidden in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New Testament. And Jesus to say, it is granted to you by God to know these things. What a privilege. It is a privilege to be able to understand the things of God. It is a privilege to have God open them up to you. It is a privilege to have God make us understand what he has given to us into his word. 
Can you understand that? It is a privilege to be able to understand the things of God. He opens them to you, makes them known to you, and not to others. Second thing worth noting. In the second part of verse 10, it states the reason why he now speaks in parable. By quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, where judgment is passed upon the people of Israel who will ever be hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. What a tragic situation. What a serious judgment. What a serious judgment. You will not believe, so you cannot believe. In other words, that's what Jesus is trying to say here. You will not believe, that's why you cannot believe. They are hardening their own hearts. And then God hardened it even more. Isaiah's mission was to preach again and again the clear word of God, expecting nothing but hardness of hearts and rejection of his message. Imagine you have been tasked by God to go to a group of people and you preach and you preach and you preach and they keep on rejecting, rejecting, and rejecting. And you come and complain, God tells you, go back and preach the same message and expect the same answer. Now, that was point number one. Let's now move to point number two. The explanation of the parable. And I'm going to be quick because I believe it's very easy to understand. The explanation of the parable is seen from verse 11 to verse 15. And the first heart that we see here is a hard heart. Look at verse 11 and 12. The Bible says... Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Wow. The Lord begins by explaining about a seed cast along the path. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they cannot believe and be saved. If you remember our observations, which was number one, the field in Israel were divided into long and narrow strips for cultivation. And between those long, narrow strips of field, there were beaten paths that became hard as concrete or pavement. The seed would not penetrate the soil. It was simply an impossible task. These hard, beaten parts are emblematic of some people who hear God's word. 
And yes, the immediate context is that of the Jewish people, Jewish leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, the priests whose mind was shout to the truth of God, to the message of God, to the Son of God, and to the kingdom of God. They were so hard-hearted, hard-hearted rather, that the more they heard of Jesus, the more they hated him and the more they wanted to kill him. But this type of heart speaks also of those who are resolute and rigid in their indifference. They show no interest in the things of God. But what is it that they love to do? They love sin. They are not interested in the scriptures, declarations about death and eternity. You reason with them and warn them about sin, they reply, everybody does it. So why should I be concerned? Life for many is no more than a sports page and a bottle of beer. A movie or an hour at a beauty shop. What about sex? Nothing stops them from indulging in whatever sins come their way. But in others, there may be no obvious major sin, but there is simply no interest in God or His Word. Life is crowded with other things. They've drunk freely from a loose set of attitudes and ideas known as modernity. They are not interested in God's word because they don't believe objective truth can be known. They worship technology, they worship brilliance, and they substitute it for God. And know that there is nothing Wrong with the seed or even the sower in this category of heart. It is the soil. It is the soil, the heart that is hard. Now the question is, how does the devil snatch the seed away from them so that they cannot believe and be saved? He can do it through doubt. He can do it through stubbornness. Mostly through the continual love of sin. They love sin more and more and they have no intention to stop. It can do it through a continual love for this world, for the flesh, for lust. He can also do it through blindness. Do you perhaps recognize this heart? Is it yours? Or do you know anyone with this condition? 
with this kind of heart, the ground needs to be broken up. Most often the plowing that is needed is some pain or stress or trial to soften the hardness of men's lives to the seed of God's truth. And this is how grace came to many of us, isn't it? Difficulties made us quit what we were pursuing. And then the word of God fell powerfully into the broken ground of our lives. Hard hearts need to be plowed by sorrow and the disappointment of life so that God's word can take root in it. Now let me tell you, I stand before you this, this evening and I can only say, God, thank you because I used to be like that. My heart used to be like that. Second heart. A shallow or impulsive heart, verse 13. The Bible says those on the rock are the ones who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but then have no root. For a while they believe, but in time of trial they fall away. What can we understand about this type of heart or this type of people? These are the emotional people. Now it is good to be emotional. In fact, if you go to Luke chapter 7, verse 37 to 50, you'll read of this woman who was full of sin and she cried to the Lord Jesus as he entered the house of Simon the Pharisee. She broke down before Christ in deep sorrow for her sins. And also probably because of, of gratitude for the salvation she found in Jesus Christ. We read of Paul that he shed tears on more than one occasion, such as in Acts chapter 20, verse 19 and verse 31. You can read these passages when you get home. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. And we're even reminded this morning by Pastor Charles that Jesus himself wept at the grave of Lazarus in John 11, 35. However, the trouble with the people symbolized by the seed that fell on rock is that their emotions are superficial, not based on deep-seated convictions. Too many have emotional too many have emotionally tasted something of God's power, but not true conversion. The people we are talking about here have no roots. They're impulsive. After the sermon, especially perhaps when there is another preacher who has come into the congregation, they, they run to them and they say, Wow, what a sermon, brother. The rush was the preacher to tell him how his message was at grip them. Now in any given case, others one know whether marked emotional behavior is the evidence of genuine faith. The answer is found 
in this verse, the evidence is found if it can endure. The evidence rather is found if it can endure testing. James chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. The people described in Luke 8 verse 13 cannot. They are not standing the test of trial. What we are told is that in time of trial, they fall away. And the truth is, these people never really belonged to Christ's flock. First John chapter 2, verse 19, describe, describes the situation by saying, they left us, but they were never really of us. They left us, but they never really belonged to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have stayed with us. Third heart. The preoccupied heart found in verse 14. And this is what the Lord Jesus says. As for that which fell among the thorns, those are the ones who have heard, but they are being progressively choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. So the reality is they never mature. And this parable is really, I think, striking. Each group of people differs from the one described before. Those belonging to the first category represented by the seed that fell along the path never respond in any way to the preaching of the word. They are and remain insensitive. Those of the second group respond immediately and enthusiastically but quickly drop out. The preoccupied ones also perish but gradually At the outset, they show some interest in the message of the kingdom. You can even think of a man like Herod Antipas, who actually used to enjoy listening to John the Baptist. And the Bible says of him that he was greatly perplexed. However, his affair with Herodias spelled his ruin. As his message is summarized by Luke. In verse 14, Jesus is warning especially against three dangers. Danger number one, the cares or worries of life. Worries that eat away one's soul little by little. One commentator said, Worry not only breaks down resistance to disease and therefore shortens life, but also prevents one from concentrating on the blessings God is constantly providing. And in fact, Jesus spoke a lot about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. 
The second danger to the development of spiritual life refers to riches, the craving for wealth. A good example is that of the rich man or the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 24. We also read of the rich uh, fool in Luke 12, verse 13 to 21. And what about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, verse 19 to 31? Riches were their problems. And thirdly, it speaks of the pleasures of life. These two, if a person does not watch out, may become soul-ruining entanglements. And we have to understand that there are two kinds of the pleasures of life. Those that are wrong in themselves, for instance, drunkenness, drug addiction, gambling, sexual vice, but we also have pleasures of life that are wrong when a person indulges in them, such as games, sports, entertainment, social media, TikTok. That thing is addictive. Like cancer gradually killing the body or a destructive parasite little by little destroying its host, so also are these thorns. They slowly but surely choke the souls of those people who extend the welcome to them. And the truth is such individuals never mature. They never produce fruits for everlasting life. In fact, Paul said of one of them in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, one of them is Demas. He has deserted me because he fell in love with the present world. But nevertheless, not all the sowing has been in vain. Lastly, a good heart in verse 15. But as for that, in good soil, the verse says, those are the ones who have heard the word with an honest and good heart, those who cling to it by, those who cling to it and they persevere to produce a crop. These people receive the message with an open mind. They receive the message with an open mind as did the Bereans. We see them in Acts 17 verse 10 to 12. These people are those who pray like the prayer in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open the eyes of my heart that I may contemplate the wonders of your law. Something about them is that they keep clinging to the word of God. They love it and they desire to obey it and share it with others. They proclaim it and they cannot stop doing so. Their lives are a testimony of the work of God's grace seen in the transformation of their lives which they now live consecrated to God. And by means of their perseverance they produce a crop 
We see love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. We see those fruits in them. And they do it for the glory of God. And they pursue others because they want them to know the same God who has transformed them. And they experience a love of joy because of what God has done in them as well as for them. Let me conclude by asking us this question. What is the real lesson of this parable? What is the real lesson of this parable? The lesson is this. Examine yourself to discover to which group you belong. If you belong to any one of the first three groups, I urge you to call to God this evening. I urge you to cry to him to soften your heart, to remove the thorns and thistles as well as the cares, the desire for pleasure and riches of this world, instead to find total joy and satisfaction in him. But even if you should belong to the last group, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I bearing enough fruit? Am I bearing enough fruit? The parable is really an exhortation to self-examination. Self-examination that should lead either to basic conversion or to further sanctification. And my prayer this evening is that you will go inside your heart and you'll look at its condition. And then you'll cry to God if it's among the first three, plead with him to change and transform you. And if it's the last one, then ask him to help you bear much fruit for his glory and for his honor. What's your heart condition? Which heart among the four is yours? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the grace to be able to share it with your people. And I pray, Father, that you'd have your work in all of us. Dear Holy Spirit, convict us of sin, convict us of righteousness, convict us of judgment. If we are walking with God in, in sin, and if we are walking in hypocrisy, if we are walking, Lord, in the pleasures and pursuing the pleasures of this world, and if we are 
pursuing of God, the cares of this world and the riches of this world instead of pursuing you, instead of finding joy and satisfaction in you. I pray, dear Holy Spirit, that you break our hearts, you convince us, and that you lead us to look to you and, and see you as the Savior who died for us. Heal us of our heart's condition, O God, lest we be destroyed and destroyed forever. Thank you that you are gracious. Thank you that you save. Thank you that you transform. And thank you, O God, that you are merciful and compassionate. Do your work in us, we pray, for the glory of your name and for the benefit of your church. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.